Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. Luke chapter 19 and verses 11 to 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Well, we continue in our series entitled Parables Jesus Told. We're looking at those parables, those pointed stories, those stories that make a point within Luke's gospel. And today we're looking at Luke chapter 19 and verses 11 to 27, where Jesus tells this parable about a king who gives his ten servants one mina each. And it's a bit of a confusing parable with all its details and different characters coming and going. It's enough to confuse anyone. And then there's that gruesome scene at the end. I must admit, the first time I read it, I felt a bit uneasy. But as I started to reread it and study it and research for the sermon and study the, the, the context and the cultural context, it all started to make sense. So what is the context? Well, luckily for us, Luke tells us in verse 11, he says, while they were still listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once. So the reason Jesus tells this parable is because everyone thinks that the kingdom of God is about to appear at once. So two questions. One, What is the kingdom of God? And two, why did they think it was about to appear at once? Well, a kingdom is the area where a king rules over. So the kingdom of God is the realm 
where God rules over, where God's will is done. But if we look at the world today, we don't see God's will always being done, do we? Rather, we see people doing what they want. We see greed and selfishness and envy. We see hatred and violence and evil. We, we see sickness and decay and death. This is the world we live in. And the Bible refers to this as the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this age. But this is not God's intention for the world. So the kingdom of God is the very opposite of that. The kingdom of God is where people do the will of God. And there's healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. And there's no more evil and suffering and sickness and death that's all wiped away. The world just as it should be, the way God intended it. And on a very popular level, people will call this heaven. This is the world functioning the way it should be, the way God intended it. That is the kingdom of God. So why did they think that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once? Well, they all thought, rightly, they all thought that Jesus was the Messiah that Jesus was God's chosen king who would set up God's kingdom. And they had already seen through Jesus' healings, through Jesus driving out of demons those unclean and evil spirits, and through Jesus raising dead people back to life, they had already seen a foretaste of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And now Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem, the capital city, the city where the king has his throne. So their obvious conclusion is, as soon as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he will be enthroned as king. And as soon as he's enthroned as king, he will immediately set up God's kingdom. The whole world will be transformed and renewed. All evil will be wiped away. Everything will be just the way God intended to be. Voila! That's why the disciples keep bickering about who's the greatest and who's going to sit at the left and the right of Jesus when he enters his kingdom. But of course we know it's not going to happen like that. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he isn't enthroned as king, but he's rejected and he's crucified. Sure, through his death, he actually defeats evil and death. But even when he rises from the dead, he doesn't set up God's kingdom fully. But rather, he ascends to heaven, a distant land, and he's at God's right hand. And we have to wait until one day when he returns. And then... Only then will he set up God's kingdom fully. And in the meantime, we need to remain faithful to Jesus, knowing that Jesus will return as king and set up his kingdom fully. And so Jesus is going to use this parable to explain that to his disciples. And he says in verse 12, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects 
His subjects are different to his servants. His subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Okay, now this is all really confusing for us. But actually, this was very common practice in those days, and so it would have made perfect sense to Jesus' audience. You see, in those days, if you wanted to be appointed king, you had to take the long trip to Rome and get the Roman emperor's approval before you could become king. Herod the Great had taken such a trip. He had gone to Rome and he had been successful and therefore he returned as king. Many years later, when he had died, Herod's oldest son made a similar trip to Rome, but a delegation was sent to oppose his bid, and as a result, he was unsuccessful, and he was banished, never to return, and it was actually his half-brother who ended up becoming king. And so with this political background in mind, Jesus says, a man of noble birth, In other words, a rightful king went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. The implication, of course, is that the kingdom of God is not going to be set up immediately. There will be a delay. Jesus will be going away to a distant land, to heaven, to the right hand of God the Father. And it's only when he returns that he will finally set up the kingdom fully. So there is a delay. And he says in verse 13, So he called ten of his servants. Now his servants are his, his disciples, his followers. That's us. So he calls ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. He gave one mina to each servant. Now, Amina was a Greek coin, and it was worth about three months' wage for an average worker. So this is a lot of money. This is very generous, and he gives it to them freely. Put this money to work. He's encouraging them to engage in business on his behalf, in his name. And then he says, until I come back. And when he says that, he's not saying, and when I come back, I want to see the prophets. He's not looking for prophets and success. He's looking for faithfulness. You see, he's going to be gone for a long time. And there are many people who oppose him. Most of his citizens hate him. They've sent a delegation to oppose his bid to become king. He may never return. In fact, it doesn't look like he's going to return because everyone's against him. And it's within this very hostile context that he's saying to his servants and he's saying to us, I want you to be faithful. I want you to engage in my business, on my behalf, in my name, while I'm absent in this very hostile uh, environment, knowing that, and in my best Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, I'll be back. You see, when there's a war, particularly a civil war, and there's political instability, investors withhold their money. They don't invest their money. They don't engage in business. They're going to wait and see who's going to win the right to rule first. You see, they don't want to back the wrong horse. Jesus is asking us to take the risk 
and boldly and openly declare that you are his faithful servant. Even while he's away, even within the midst of this hostile environment where most people oppose him and oppose his rule. You see, we live in a world where a lot of people are saying, I don't want this man as my king. I don't want this Jesus to rule over me. And when Jesus returns as king, it's going to be really easy then to say, well, you know, I'm Jesus' faithful follower. It'll be easy then. But what Jesus is looking for is how are you going to conduct your lives while he's absent? When, when it's a, a real price to pay to say that you are his follower, are you going to take the risk and boldly and publicly declare that you are his follower by the way you live? Kenneth Bailey tells um, how he had the opportunity to teach at a Bible college in Latvia. This is many years ago. And uh, he had opportunity to interview prospective students. And he was told by the Bible college that the most important question to ask is the date that they were baptized. And so he said, well, why is it so important when they were baptized? Why is the date of their baptism so important? And they said, well, if they were baptized during the Soviet rule, they risked their lives. They compromised their future to be by being baptized. But if they were baptized after we'd been liberated from the Soviet rule, then we have many more questions to ask them about why they want to be a pastor. Are you prepared to take the risk and boldly and publicly declare that you are Jesus' follower by the way you conduct your life? In verse 15 we read, He was made king, however, and returned home. Jesus will return one day as king. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And when Jesus returns, he's going to want to find out how faithful you've been. And when it says, in order to find out what you had gained with it, he's not interested in the profit. He's not interested in, in how successful you've been. He's interested in how faithful you've been. How much business have you engaged in? The profit was merely an indication of how much business they had engaged in, how faithful they had been. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Now that's interesting. He doesn't say, I have earned ten more. He doesn't say, well, you know, I created a really good product and I did this really good market research and I burnt the candle at both ends and I have gained a thousand percent return on your investment. How successful am I? No, he doesn't say that. He actually says, your mina, your free gift has earned. You see, it's not about success, it's not about profits, it's about faithfulness. And he clearly has conducted a lot of business and, he, and therefore he has been clearly been very faithful. Verse 17, well done, my good servant, his master replied. That's the greatest reward you could ever have. Jesus looking at you and saying, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Because you have been trustworthy, not because you've been successful, you made a lot of profit, no, because you've been trustworthy, faithful, in the very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The reward for being faithful is greater responsibilities, not privileges. It doesn't say, well, now you're going to get a generous pension. Now you're going to have a free holiday. Now you're going to have a villa by the beach. No, he says, no, you've got greater responsibilities. You're going to get charge over 10 cities. You see, if we are faithful to Jesus in this life, in this age, then Jesus will trust us to be faithful with greater things in the age to come. So don't waste your life. The second servant equally was faithful and he, he too was rewarded in proportion to his faithfulness. And so he took charge of five cities. But then in verse 20 we read, Another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. This servant had been completely unfaithful. He had engaged in absolutely no business for his master. And his excuse? I was afraid of you. You were a hard man. You are harsh and severe. Now, it's unlikely that he was afraid of his master. It's more likely that he was afraid that his master would not return as king. And he didn't want to back the wrong horse. So he was just laying low to find out who was going to win the right to rule. But as it turned out, the horse he failed to back won the race. And he totally fails his master's test of faithfulness. His defense, it's a strange defense, but basically, he insults his master. <laughs> you're a hard man, you are harsh and severe, and you're a thief. You take what, you, what is not yours. I don't know exactly what he was hoping to gain but with that strategy. And there's nothing in the parable to support his view of his master. His master has generously given all his servants one mina, freely. And when his master returned as king, he didn't take the profits for himself, but he allowed all the servants to keep the profits generously. And even more than that, he gives them greater responsibilities. They get to rule over cities. He has been generous and kind. It's only this unfaithful servant who seems to have a very distorted view of the master. You see, the way we live influences the way we see God. So the master replied in verse 22, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Now the master is not admitting to be a harsh and severe person. He's, he's effectively saying, so you knew that I was a hard man? Did you really? Well, if that was the case, then, and we read in verse 23, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could collect it with interest? You see, if the servant truly believed that his master was a hard man, he would have put his money in the bank 
where it's safe and sound and it would have earned interest. But investing the money in the bank would still be doing the master's business. He would still be known as investing the master's money. You'll be known publicly. And he doesn't want anyone to know, so he does nothing. He chooses to waste his life. He chooses to do nothing for his master. So my question is, is that you? Are you doing nothing for Jesus? Are you doing nothing to make your life count for God? You see, God has given you good gifts. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the good news. What are you doing with it? Oh, oh, I put it over here in my handkerchief. It's just really safe and sound. What? Oh, well, I, ha- I haven't done anything wrong. No, you haven't. You haven't done anything. You've done nothing. Nothing to make your life count for God. Don't waste your life. Verse 24, he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Verse 25, sir, they said, he already has ten. Talk about stating the obvious. Verse 26, he replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And so everyone is saying, this is unfair. Is it unfair? It seems pretty wise to me. If I had multiple portfolios, which I don't, but, but if I had multiple portfolios and the one portfolio was really earning a lot of money and the other portfolio was doing absolutely nothing, I would take all my money and put it into the portfolio that's earning a lot of money because I would be a fool if I didn't. If you're not faithful with little, Jesus is not going to give you more. If you're wasting your life and you're doing absolutely nothing for Jesus, Jesus is not going to give you more opportunities and more responsibilities because you're just going to waste that. Also take note that this servant isn't fired. He he still remains a servant. He's not been fired. But because he's been unfaithful, He now has fewer responsibilities. And then we get the last verse, verse 27. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. And so the parable ends on a very somber note. Those who have actively rebelled against the king are going to get killed. And you see, when Jesus returns as king to establish his kingdom, those who have actively rebelled against him, those who hate Jesus, those who don't want Jesus to rule over him, those who don't want to live in his kingdom, will get what they want. And they will be destroyed forever. But it's not too late for them. 
They've still got time to come to their senses and to ask for forgiveness, to turn to God and receive eternal life in the kingdom of God and make their life count. The big point of this parable is don't waste your life. Make your life count for God. How do we do that practically? By being faithful with little things. By being faithful with little Just start with little things. Be faithful and committed to coming to church regularly, to praying and reading your Bible regularly, to going to home group regularly. To, to financially supporting the church and our ministry over here, both here and abroad, to support Rian's ministry. Again, it, it doesn't have to start with a, a huge amount. You don't have to start at 10%. Just give what you can. And if you're faithful with little, God will increase your opportunities and your responsibilities to be faithful with more. Be faithful and committed to serving at the church. Again, start small. Just serve coffees or open, uh, welcome people at the door, do IT, help out with the children's work. There are many ways that we can start to serve at the church because God has given all of us a mina. Gifts and skill sets and time and money. We need to invest that into Jesus' business of sharing the good news and loving all people, especially the poor. When we do that, when we start being faithful with little, God will give us more opportunities and greater responsibilities to be faithful with the big things. And then we won't waste our life. Our life will count for God and will make a difference. And this church is growing because people have been faithful servants and have invested in the kingdom of God. God wants to give us more. He wants to give us more responsibilities. And when He returns, He will look at you and He will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have done so much for us, that you were prepared to make your life count. You didn't waste your life, but you came and you gave your life and you died on the cross for us because you loved us and you wanted to offer us life and forgiveness and healing. And Father, in response, we know that you call us to now live for you. But so often we find that in a hostile environment, in a world where, where people oppose you, impose your rule, we often feel it's just a bit safer to keep our heads down. Father, help us to take the risk and to boldly follow you through the way we live, declare that we are your servants. And Father, for that, we do need your help. And we pray that by the Holy Spirit, You would empower us and enable us to be that servant that you desire. Help us to be faithful in the small things and to slowly grow in our faithfulness so that our life will count for you and that one day you will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.